This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. We're back. I don't even know how long it's been because it's been that long. But anyway, um, welcome to 2020 on your ESPNW Around the Rim podcast where we talk about all women's basketball. Yeah, I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. T, how you been, girl? First off, when is it too late to say Happy New Year? Because I feel like we've been gone that long, but still should say Happy New Year, right? Well, it's our first podcast of the new year, so I felt like we definitely need to mention the fact that it's 2020, but <laughs> you can't continue. Well, it is a new decade. See yeah, what I'm saying? So like, you should like be able to continue. Leeway. Yeah, I'm with you. So yeah, welcome to the new decade and a new episode of Around the Rim. We have so much to get to, so we're going to jump right into it. A lot happening in women's college basketball, along with the WNBA. If you've been somewhere sleeping under a rock, you probably do not know, but we have our fourth Number one team of the season in college women's basketball in the South Carolina Gamecocks. If we get to five, that will be the first time that it's ever happened since AP poll voting was invented, that we've had five different number one seeds. So um, a lot happening. We will talk about that later in the show, and I'll tell you where. But the other major news is the WNBA and the players, WNBA Players Association have come to an agreement on a CBA. We've been waiting on it. A little bit delayed, but well worth it. Um, so much to talk about under this um, new CBA, which will last eight years with an opt-out option at six. But just to give you a quick overview, because we will be talking about this in a moment with Sue Bird um, and later in the show with Michelle Vopel and Pokey Chapman. But just to give you somewhat of an overview, there's an option for revenue sharing 50-50 by 2021 between the WNBA and its players, which is to me just outstanding for a league that um, is trying to go and is betting on themselves is the motto of the WNBA Players Association. Also, for a top player in the WNBA, they can make up to $500,000 in compensation, not salary, but compensation because it's a combination of what is now the new max at 215 for salary and then a 250 um, that they could make in the off season with new programs, marketing opportunities, uh, basically a lot of money going into building the brand of this league in the off season, which could also add to players staying here from overseas. Some other highlights Child care stipend, reimbursement up to $60,000 for adoption, surrogacy, egg freezing, fertility treatments, all things that are important to the overall health, wellness, well-being of WNBA players. And I thought that that was the one thing that stood out to me was the increase in the player experience. Um, No more shared hotel rooms, economy plus flights for those long legs. Unrestricted free agents at five years instead of six. And all this stuff comes into play at different times within this deal. Um, but it's all going to happen eventually. There will be a limit on the number of years you can core a player. So that's major. More freedom for the players to move around. Um, some of the new investments, $1 million per team per season. So... Really putting your money where where your mouth is if you are the WNBA and these players are going to have not only more opportunity to earn monies, 
but also to just have a better quality of work life. There will be a commissioner's cup with up to $750,000 prize money, which could mean, if my math is right, about 63 Gs per player if your team wins. What else, Tarika? What else stood out to you? Um, well, you touched on a lot of them and you hit on a lot of them. For me, I think the the mental health aspect, specifically the counseling and the opportunity to, to go in depth regarding domestic violence, especially knowing how that had been a huge topic in the league over the last year. To me, I thought that was very important to add. Um, we have had players from Amani McGee's to Shamik's Holes Claw to Diamond DeShields, who have been on our show and talked about the importance of mental health. So adding that, I think, was a very big thing for me. And overall, the other big kind of theme, in my opinion, is that, and Chanae Agumake said it, holding the league as a top priority. I mean, through this new agreement, there will come a time where if you arrive late from overseas playing, you will be suspended for that season for the WNBA. So um, and we'll talk a little bit more about things like that later in the show. But what the WNBA and its players are asking is that the league be a priority. You know, I mean, it has really hurt the league in past years that players have not been in market for marketing opportunities. And now they're creating some opportunities here in the off season and not just for those top players with, with marketing compensation, but various programs, um, various job and work opportunities, uh, avenues into coaching. It's a holistic CBA. That's the word today, Tarika. This is a holistic CBA. So we're going to talk a little bit about it. The good, the bad, and to me, the Mo Better. You remember Mo Better Blues? I loved Mo Better Blues. That was my movie. Mm-hmm. Because this is actually a, a really huge moment um, for the WNBA for its players and very well done. So shout out to the um, executive committee and um, everyone that um, has put in all the hard work. President Neka Ogumake, she's got like three vice presidents. Janae, Elena Deladon, mm-hmm. I think Lasia. So, mm-hmm. um Y'all did that. Congratulations. So we'll talk about that during the show. Uh, we'll talk to Sue Bird about the CBA. And then we're going to have the hottest coach in the country, Charlie Turner Thorne of Arizona State, jo- joining us to talk about how her team took down not just the number two team in the country in Oregon, but the number three team in the country in Oregon State one day apart. I mean, she's got it cracking. She's got it going. And then we're going to talk a little bit more Pac-12 because they're hot right now. In the third quarter with Michelle Smith, and we are going to finish it with a little bit more of an in-depth talk about the CBA with former head coach and GM in the WNBA, Pokey Chapman, and our very own expert, Michelle Vopel. So with that, just a quick reminder before we get started that you can subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast wherever you're listening. It really helps us and helps other people to find our show. Tell a friend about Around the Rim. If you like women's hoops... Hey, talk to your close friends, family who enjoy the sport and tell them about our podcast. Also, check out the Woj Pod. This week he sits down with Spurs guard Patty Mills and he always has great guests and conversation. This week is no different. You can get the Woj Pod wherever you're listening to this podcast. Did I forget anything, Tarika? You didn't. You're good. You're on it. All right. Let's get into it.
First quarter. We have a lot to get into in today's show, so we're bringing on the best of the best to help us break it all down. And joining us in this first quarter is certainly a friend of the podcast. She's a three-time WNBA champion, four-time Olympic gold medalist, 11-time All-Star, and future first ballot Hall of Famer for sure, point guard for the Seattle Storm, Sue Bird. Thanks for joining us, Sue. Friend of the pod. I like that. I know. She's, she's such a friend. <laughs> you were already <laughs> invited to the cookout, so now you're officially hey. on the pod, a pod friend. So life doesn't get much better than that. Seriously. I know. I'm it. I like it. I like it. Uh, Sue, everybody's um, for what seems like forever has been waiting on this CBA deal to be finalized. Obviously, we want to know what your overall thoughts are. Um, I think we killed it. I think um, it was worth the wait. You know, it, it, it definitely took some time to, to get things um, right and to get them right for you know to be honest both sides of the equation both the player side of it and then the league side of it and I think we did that and and more than anything you know it, the proof in the pudding you know you can you can go through and read a lot of the highlights in terms of like travel maternity leave salary you name it but I think the best part is this is this is the CBA that's going to set up the CBA you know what I mean like I think this one really lays the groundwork um, for the future, and it's it's definitely going to be a part of all of our legacy. So it's pretty cool to be a part of it. It's interesting you say that about laying the groundwork for the future, because as I was going through things and uh, you know just reading, I mean, first of all, I'm beyond excited about this, but it seemed like it was very future forward. Meaning mm-hmm. um, there were some aspects of it, including revenue sharing that would be that would start fifty fifty, possibly I think in twenty twenty one. So it seemed like there is a process to this. Speak a little bit to why it's structured that way and how that benefits the league. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, this whole thing is, is, is so multifaceted. And I think a lot of it is you had to um, take into account the realities of, of where we are as a league right now, but also where we want to go. And also the realities of how, in my mind, we've been mismanaged. So, you know, when you think about it, I don't think we've done a great job in marketing ourselves. I don't think we've done a great job at, you know, selling ourselves and putting ourselves in a position to be successful. So this kind of, you know, brings everybody back to the table to kind of, you know, reset in a way, um, mm-hmm. to, to restructure things, to, you know, like you said, set this groundwork and, and, and build from it. Um, but we had to start somewhere. And, and this was about, like, getting things right. Because, like I said, I just think in, in a lot of ways, there's been a lot of mismanagement. And, you know, in some ways, it's, it's really no one's fault. It just kind of happened that way. But here we are. We have a moment. We have a chance to, to redo it all. And this kind of sets us in the right path. Because, we are women and it's a different league and we can't just copy everything the men do. Right. No. And that's something that I think, you know, and you know, this, we've had to clarify and re-clarify some of the dialogue out there about, you know, you guys wanted equal pay to NBA players. Like that was never what was on the agenda. But Sue, tell me what were the most important aspects of this CBA from the player standpoint? Like what were the things that were non-negotiable for you guys? Yeah, um, man, you know, it's, it's tough to say what was non-negotiable because, like I said, this is, this is really, I think what's, what's very unique about this experience, it's, it's unlike any negotiation, right? Like usually it's two sides kind of like, you know, neck and neck, give and take and all that. This was, this as it played out was two sides that kind of understood like we need to be on the same page in order for this to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everything was kind of negotiable. Now, did we want more money? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think in terms of non-negotiable, I might put rev share in there. That was something that um, 
you know, listen, the league has to make money in order for us to all share it. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, get, to get the money. But, you know, like you said, in 2021, if things are, are trending in the right direction and we hit certain benchmarks, it will kick in at 50-50. And I think that was a non-negotiable. Um, and there are certain aspects of our, of our lives, you know, um, the hotels, the travel. Again, to say non-negotiable is tough because you had to leave wiggle room to get this thing done. I, but I think as it turned out, um, uh, I, like I said, I think we killed it. Um, you know, maternity leave was another one. that We went in there kind of like, we're women. We need to talk about this. And right. We like setting the tone for not just us, but for all women. Um, so that was another one that was really high on our list. And what does 50-50 revenue sharing, if that does ha- happen, what, what will that look like for the players? If you guys hit that mark, what will that look yeah. like? How would that change things? Yeah, well, first of all, I, all that really matters to me in regards to that is it means we have revenue. And right. if we have revenue, it means the league, this, this is like really put us on the right path. And, and we're selling and we're doing better. And maybe it means, you know, more ticket sales and more jersey sales and, you know, more viewership and all that good stuff. Um, and obviously there's a, there's a money component to it, a financial component. Um, I actually don't know exactly. It's like, honestly, when you start doing the CBA stuff, this is like some lawyer stuff. I can't even. I get <laughs> yeah. my brain starts to hurt. But there's right. definitely something that happens where 50% of the revenue will come to the players and then it would get either, you know, maybe put in a salary cap or get divvied up. I'm not quite sure how that works, but it means mm-hmm. we see it. That's what 50-50 means. It means we actually see it. So it will be a part of their check from that point forward if that is achieved. Yes. Okay. Yes. But again, okay. like I said, it's like it means we're doing things right and that's all that matters to me. Right. And my disclaimer in this, and I, I said this at the top of the show, is this still has to go through the board of directors and that we have not actually received the full CBA. So this is what we have gotten as far as the highlights or whatever you want to call it from the Players Association for um, the WNBA. So we still do have to dig through the paperwork of this, I think, to get a full understanding. So I'm, I'm curious about one thing. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute because I was listening Hit to me. the jump. Yeah, I was listening <laughs> to the jump and, you know, it's Rachel and Tracy McGrady and, you know, they were talking about the uh, the CBA. And one thing that came up was how it, some of the aspects of this CBA seem to benefit top players. Like we see this, we keep mm-hmm. saying this phrase, top players, as far as, you know, obviously I don't, I have no problem with the salary part because, um, you know, I, I just believe the top players should make more money, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also in terms of off-season compensation, it seems like there's going to be some choices that have to be made. And I don't know if it's is it the head coach, is it the organization, is it the GM, as far as who, or is it the league, who mm-hmm. is able to make some of that additional compensation in the off season? And, and, mm-hmm. and what about those that that's not available to? Yeah, um, no, great question. I think when you really dive in and you really start to um, look at the opportunities, um, I think what you'll see is that what the CBA does is give people because let's be honest all of this is is really specific to a person it's really an individual's choice you know mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give like one silly example but it's like you know if you're making i'll just use a round number if you're making a hundred thousand dollars in the WNBA and an overseas team offers you a hundred and twenty thousand dollars i know some players they could offer one dollar more they're going and then i know some players where it's like uh maybe i'll stay home you know, $20,000 is more, but I'd prefer to be in America. My point is, each individual is going to have their own opportunity to curate what they want their career to be. So it can be a situation where 
you, you know, and to, to, to your earlier question about is it the league, is it the team? So there's actually, there's league marketing agreements, there's team marketing agreements, and there's actual job opportunities. And maybe you want to be a commentator. So maybe a young China is balling in the WNBA and she already knows she wants to be on ESPN. And she's able to get an off-season opportunity to do that while simultaneously continuing her basketball career. So my point is, I think there is something for everyone. And we understood as players, especially on this executive committee, like we had to give a little bit in order to make this work. We had to come to the table as well. You know, the league came to the table to put money up and we had to come to the table as well. And, and it, this is a way for everyone to kind of decide what's best for them. And if it means you just want to go overseas and call it a day, that's up to you. But like I said, I think there's a lot of wiggle room in there for everyone to make it work for themselves. Right, and I think it does make sense even in the off season. I mean, for marketing purposes, yes, have your top players visible. Like that makes total mm-hmm. sense to me. Whether that's during the NBA season or with different sponsor, potential sponsors, all of that makes total sense. But I, I was curious because I know that um, as far as the executive board of the Players Association, it's NECA, it's Lasia, Cheney, you, Elena mm-hmm. Deladon, Elizabeth Williams who either were lottery picks or a part of USA basketball, you know, those two stamps kind of separate you a little bit. So making sure, I guess that, and I don't know what the percentages of WNBA players that aren't all of those things, but that they are also benefiting. So that makes sense what you're saying, but let's go back to the overseas part really quickly. And I know you're going to have to go soon, but um, that was one thing that also stood out to me was I know at some point in this eight year agreement, you can opt out at six, but um, they'll start to be more penalty for arriving late to camp. And again, for players that are top players, and I don't know what this number will be, but are staying in the U.S. Overseas, uh, during the overseas season, it might not be as big of a deal. But for someone who is not maybe making that additional income or hasn't found that avenue for them to really thrive in, in here and does want to go overseas for that extra $2,000, what does this mean for them and how difficult of a decision was this for you guys to, to move forward with? Yeah. Um, again, I think we just tried to do something that was going to give everyone an opportunity to make decisions for themselves. And it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, but I think the, the truth is, um, you know, we needed to, to make a change in order to get this league um, headed in the right direction. And, and, and so at some point, you do have to make concessions. And this was one that was tough. I think that the, the positive of it is um, it, it, the penalties um, don't really kick in until like 2023, 2024. 2024 is when it gets harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, we only have two seasons and then we can opt out. So this is really a chance to like see because people, I mean, listen, there's, there's a, a narrative out there that's like, hey, we, we can't succeed because you guys all leave. We can't right. succeed because you're not visible. And so we're going to test that. And, and it's kind of put your money where your mouth is for, for the league. And they did. And so we're going to test that out. And I personally think um, it's worth it to see because I think when you sit down and you're a WNBA player, you're an owner, even if you're someone you know like yourself who's a big, you know, obviously a big supporter and just like totally into it, it's like, wouldn't you love for the WNBA to be the only league you have to play in because you make enough money and you don't have yes. to go anywhere else? <laughs> So, right. So I think we all want that. It's hard to think about getting there because you have to give up, you know, and for, and to your point overseas, I mean, that's like my bank account is brutal. Like, I'll just be honest. So it's, yeah. it's, it's tough, but simultaneously, um, I do think there, there was, there was enough, again, wiggle room there to make this work for a lot of different types of players. And real fast, just to touch on the salary, something that, cause this was like my big thing, um, 
it does appear as if now all of a sudden top players have more um, opportunity for just, I'm talking straight up basketball salary, not right. total compensation. But the truth is our salary structure was really busted and it actually was limiting the top players from making money. And because of that, it became, it, we were just very top heavy. You were either making the max or you were like a rookie and there, was no, there wasn't a lot in between. And, and I think what we did because the salary cap increased by 30% because the max rose by the percentage that it rose, it actually created a lot of room in there to get paid based on merit. Yes. And I think what that does is, yes, it pays your top players more. And yes, you know, it, it, it kind of, um, one could say it, it reduces other people's salaries, even though it doesn't. Everybody gets a bump. It's just some people get a bigger bump than others. But what I think it does long term, it, it allows kids to like grow up and like see this as like a viable thing and to like reach towards that, especially or even like a rookie, right? Like you're a rookie. You're like, dang, I could make 190000 if I ball out versus like you're just capped at a certain number, which is what our old structure was. I don't want to like, there's like crazy detail to this that I know you would ever do a whole other podcast for, but yeah. <laughs> that's like a taste of it. It actually, I think is going to create like a merit-based league and it's going to motivate players. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I just thought the WNBA for a long time had too many players making max. Like there yeah, were too many people making what Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi were making. And it was not, <laughs> oh my God, like it drove me crazy. But now if you want to make that it. money, you can, you know, you can get there. You know, if you want to get exactly. there, you got to step up your game, which I think is great. Exactly. So we're going to let you go. Um, just one quick non CBA question for you. Um, well, mm-hmm. actually, you know what? Let's finish with this. Um, recently we, we lost a giant in the game in David Stern and just want to get your thoughts really quickly on what he meant to you, um, but also to the legacy of the WNBA. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is the legacy of the WNBA, you know, um, without him, without his vision, you know, this league wouldn't have existed. Um, I was, you know, lucky and fortunate enough to, to spend not a ton of time, but, but a little bit of time with, with, uh, David Stern and, and I don't know, he just, <laughs> He just always had a way about him, you know what I mean? And he was—he he had, like, a great personality. He would throw these one-liners in, and he always kept it real, and I really appreciated that about him. Um, it, was, it was always – you always there was always a nugget you were going to take from any interaction that you had with David. So, um, obviously, so sad to, to hear about his passing, but, um, you know, I know they're going to be celebrating him next week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, thanks to him, we all are, are in this position right now. So, um, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, I hate that I'm gonna miss next week. I actually can't be there, but um, he was definitely he's meant so much to so many people, not just in what he actually did in his position, but also what he meant to them personally. I know you're on your way. Are you are you headed to studio? I'm coming East Coast, baby. Coming in. All right, so you're in the studio for uh, Stanford <laughs> versus Oregon. You just yeah, did Baylor UConn, so we'll get your yeah. take after you've watched tonight or tomorrow night on uh, Sabrina. I know we've talked a little bit about her before, but I, I want to extend that conversation. Last thing, oh, can UConn sure. win a national championship? But based on what you saw the other night against Baylor, I mean, I put my UConn hat on. I blew blue. They can always win a national championship. I put my commentating hat on. Um, they definitely have some work to do. I, I think. That Baylor game showed showed some of their weaknesses clearly on the inside. They have a lot of work to do, but you never know. I mean, they're gamers on that team, so we'll find out. I thought I was proud of the way, as an alum, I was proud of the way they played for like 34 minutes, and then it yeah. kind of got a little weird at the end. But um, yeah. yeah, but you know what? I know who's coming next. So how about the Sub Devils? Uh, what? We're about to have Charlie Turner Thorne on the show. Are you serious? I heard, I heard. Yes, yeah. they. I mean, you take out number two and three. My whole question for her is like, how did you keep them humble? 
after beat number two from Friday to Sunday because let me tell you, I would have been, I don't know what I would have been, but after beat Oregon, it would have been hard to bring me back down to earth to beat Oregon Oregon State. Oh, yeah. I would have been hanging out, chilling. Um, Sue, thank you so much. I mean, obviously the hard work that you put into the CBA, your legacy, I mean, the way this is shaping up between you winning that championship, you got the CBA, Olympics coming up. I mean, we're not going to be able to get you on the party board. So thank you for... uh, <laughs> we appreciate it. We'll see you in studio tomorrow. Thanks for your time. Second quarter inside the huddle. Coach's corner. All right, basketball fans, we are going to go inside the huddle and have a coach's perspective from one of the hottest coaches in the country. She's a two-time Pac-12 Coach of the Year. She's led the Sun Devils to six consecutive NCAA appearances and 20 win seasons. And she's been one of the most prominent and well-known coaches in basketball and I want to welcome to the show Arizona State head coach Charlie Turner Thorne thanks so much for joining us coach yeah it's good to good to be on so I don't have to tell you that the naysayers were not on your side this weekend okay 13 percent chance to go 2-0 uh that's what the numbers said but despite the numbers and back-to-back games you took down Oregon 72-66 Sunday, you come back and take down Oregon State 55-47, who were ranked number two and number three in the country at the time. No team has taken down two AP programs in back-to-back games in 10 years. Coach, what goes through your mind when you think about those numbers? Well, you know, this has been a younger team for us because, you know, we have, we've been, you know, we're used to being one of the top teams in the country. And we, you know, we've actually been in postseason 18 out of the last 19 years. So we, you know, we, we, are used to actually having a number by our name and we did earlier, but we're young and we've been injured and it's been a process this year, right? Just to, to get to where we're, we, you know, we are more used to being, which is, you know, more of the team to beat and, and probably not everybody going, Oh my gosh, how did they do that? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But, but that's what's, you know, so exciting. This team, this young team, you know, keeps transforming and um, I think, you know, they definitely believe in themselves. We know, you know, we've, gotten a lot better defensively. Um, we're getting better offensively, too. But, you know, truly in that Oregon game, you look at the stat sheet, and you're like, okay, Oregon won. You know, but just I think the intangibles, our heart, our character, you know, things like that really showed up um, big time. And then that's been, a, a you know, a cornerstone of a lot of our teams. You know, um, um, you know, a lot of our best teams are obviously very efficient offensively and defensively as well. But, um you know, this team is still getting there. So it was, yeah, it was a really good accomplishment. And, you know, of course, it's not March, so we got, we got a lot of basketball left. We got to <laughs> kind of put our heads down and keep getting better. I was in the NCAA tournament with your team in Columbia, South Carolina, where you almost took down the Gamecocks. So you don't have to convince me uh, of of what your team is is done or what they're capable of. Definitely not of your I'm defense. I'm not over that game, Lachina. <laughs> I'm not over that game either. I think about it very often. And in fact, I had a conversation with my friend before the weekend where you guys beat Oregon, Oregon State, and I said. I looked at your roster and I said, okay, I see Robbie still there. I see Riley. I see Kier. I saw, I saw Jamie. I was like, okay, people don't need to, to sleep on this team. But, um, going back to your defense coach, when I look at the, the stat sheet and Oregon averages 89 points per game, you kept them to 66 and you held them to 29% shooting in the fourth quarter. You forced them to 17 turnovers, eight by Satu Sabli. 
Um, the points off a turnover, 17 for your team. Talk about your defense. I mean, a lot of coaches listen to this podcast, and it's hard these days to get kids to buy the defense. Everyone wants to shoot, and it's all about how many points. But this is complete buy-in on this stat sheet, along with Oregon State that you held to 47 points, 30 below their average. So talk to us about your defense. Yeah, I mean, I think um – Thank you. And, yeah, I do think that, you know, you have to build a culture of, you know, like egoless basketball. I mean, you look at the men's and women's game, national championships. I mean, especially on the men's side, you know, Virginia and Texas Tech, how can you how can you not believe in defense, right? You know, I mean, if you want to win, and people think I love defense, I just love to win, you know. So we we do really game plan, and we do really get our team to buy in to, you know, really preparing and, and trying to, you know, just disrupt teams' actions and key a little bit on their on their core players. And, and you know, as, as successful as we were last weekend, I, I, I do think we could be even better. But, you know, I think, um, um, I think you know, the for our players, we've not really ever had that much of a problem getting them to buy in because, you know, our culture is, is one of, it's not about you, you know, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's not about, um, you know, there is no individual success without team success. And so, you know, clearly, you know, your offensive roles are oftentimes defined by, you know, what, how good you are, you know, what you can do, but everybody can play great defense. And we do tend to be a team that plays a deeper rotation. And, and that's something where, you know, everybody can find success, you know, if they're willing to work hard and, and like you said, buy in. So, um, you know, I think our team, especially after this weekend, if, if they weren't a hundred percent in, I think they're in now. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Cause again, I mean, we didn't really speak them all that well. And, and, you know, we still, we're so young. I mean, half our kids barely know their playbook. I'm not going to lie. Um, I keep saying that publicly, maybe that will get them to even work harder at it. But um, so that's the exciting thing about our team. I think our, you know, we're still very much transforming and getting better. And, uh, um, you know, hopefully, you know, have just kind of scratched the surface in terms of just, you know, the team that we can be. I mean, clearly we, we stepped up and, and had some great performances. And, I mean, Robbie Ryan and Iris and different people, you know, trying to, you know, really shut down Sabrina, but, you know, kind of limit and, and Pivik. And, you know, there was some, some great individual and team defensive performances. And so I don't know if I have the exact words for coaches or players, but, you know, I, I think if they're paying attention, you know, um, young players – you know, they, they learn it when they get to college, don't they, LaChina? It's like, well, you were you were an All-American, but if you can't guard anybody. Right, okay. <laughs> you know, then it's, it's going to be hard, hard for to you. have you out there. <laughs> and uh, um, so I am proud of our team, you know, for their commitment to, to team defense. And, and uh, hopefully, you know, we'll continue to grow that. Yeah, there also seemed to be some some magic in that fourth quarter against Oregon because you were down 12 with eight minutes to go. I mean, we the, sure were. they never yep. stopped believing. Your best scoring run, 14 straight in the fourth quarter, which is just amazing. Speak to your seniors really quickly because yeah. I know they're special in it. And, um, you know, you've got a, a transfer in, in Tapley and – You've got Rudin and Kier Russell, for those that may not know, did not even play in the Oregon game yeah, and you still won. And so, yeah, to tell me a little bit about how senior leadership has helped in this run as well. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think they're the ones that they real obviously they led the fourth quarter and, and did a great job that game. And you already said it, you know, as freshmen, those guys were, you know, one possession away from, you know, being in, beating the the national champion, you know, yeah. the the 
eventual national champion in the country, South Carolina. And so they, they have had great experience and there's, you know, there's nothing they haven't seen. There's no situation they haven't been in. Um, and I think that, you know, the thing that we talked about going the fourth quarter and the first time out was you guys just, just get, get your shoulders back, relax. You're just a little bit short on your shots. We got this, you know, and, and, you know, if I said that to my freshman, you know, you'd probably still need smelling salts, but you know, the seniors are like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they did, you know, they just kind of relaxed and, you know, probably got an inch or two lower. And, you know, we went from hitting, you know, clanking the front of the rim to, um, you know, Riley hit, you know, well, you Riley hit two threes, you know, Jamie, (laughs) Bobby, you know, all, all, all three of the seniors. And of course, Tapley was great too, but you know, the kids that have, are the fourth year seniors that have really, um, you know, truly nothing that they haven't seen. I mean, they've played number one, number two teams in the country. They've been toe to toe. So there's not a whole lot of like, Oh my gosh, we can't do this. You know, it's just a matter of, um, you know, making the plays. Yeah. And let me say that fourth quarter, you did shoot 69% from the field. (laughs) So, and for the game, you shot 34. (laughs) So they, they definitely put those shoulders back and relax and Robbie Ryan and Riley Richardson combined for 21 of the 30 points that your team scored. So senior leadership for for sure. Coach, I know you've got to prepare um, for this weekend, but I do have another question. First, let me tell you this. Um, Sue Bird just got off our podcast, and I asked her about UConn, and she talked about the Baylor matchup, and she's getting ready to watch Stanford. But she said, how about Arizona State? (laughs) She couldn't wait to talk about your team. It was so excited. And the one thing I told Sue, I said, I have to ask uh, Coach Turner Thorne this question. I said, how did you keep your team humble between Friday and Sunday? Because if it was me, I don't know what would have happened to my mind after beating number two, but to keep them so centered and so focused to come back and do it again, let everyone know this is no fluke. This team is for real. But how did you manage that emotionally as a coach? Yeah, we we did talk about it, and I think it was not – it wasn't the humble um, – Part probably, but it was just getting re-energized, right? The emotional exhaustion that comes with a big win like that. Um, you know, we sort of, you know, really talked about energy management. We really talked about, um, you know, hey, we we know we can win the second game. We know we want to. All you have to do is put your energy in what what it takes to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, not oh, I hope we can get the second one. And then you know, you had the little carrot out there that was kind of fun. It's like, okay, this you make history. You know, I I didn't even really know, and you know, we were asking everybody at ESPN and everything, but or the media was, but I was like, I I didn't look it up, but I just told them, I said, listen, there's no team that's ever beat you know the number two, number three teams in the country the same weekend in the regular season, um, so you know you have a chance. So we kind of kind of threw that out for fun motivation, but Lachina, our bench was amazing in that second game. Yes. Like it was our depth. You know, like our starters couldn't have played 28, 29 minutes. We had to go with our, our bench earlier and more often, and they really stepped up. So, you know, kudos to them, and, you know, that, that made all the difference in that game. But, I mean, you know, we're, we're a pretty tough group, you know, and, and, you know, we do our military training and, you know, going into the season and, and uh, you know, really, you know, really talk about, you know, the toughest teams can take punches and grind, and, and so it showed up. It was fun. Well, that's awesome. And you're right, your bench looking at Rudin with 19 minutes, 
Um, Sarah, not sure I can say her last name, Bajetti. Bajetti. Okay, almost right. We call her Thir- Ready Bajetti. Ready Bajetti, 13 points. Iris, you mentioned her, 16. Ebony Walker, 14. Tanya Hansen, 13. So um, big team wins. Coach, thank you for your time. We know that you are at Washington and at Washington State this weekend. One good thing is defense does travel. So uh, we're excited to continue to watch <laughs> well this said, journey. My friend. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. We'll I talk really to you next time. It. You too. Sounds great. Okay. Third quarter. Scouting report. Welcome back to Around the Rim. And joining us in this third quarter is women's basketball writer and contributor and really one of the most prominent journalists that I know to cover this sport on a collegiate or professional level. And that's Michelle Smith-McDonald. Thanks for being here, Michelle. Hey there, how are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Michelle, I don't really have to tell you that social media has been buzzing about these recent AP rankings, especially considering the top 10, seeing South Carolina now sitting at number one, UConn losing to Baylor, Arizona State taking out the best of the Pac-12. How difficult was it for you to cast your votes for this week's AP ranking considering the major upsets that we saw? Well, it's interesting because I looked at it two ways. One, it was tricky because a lot of people lost. And then there was almost part of me that felt like there were no wrong answers, right? Like you could come up with a few combinations and be able to argue any number of them just considering the way that, you know, the way things went, the number of teams that lost, who they lost to, who's already beaten whom. Like there were lots of arguments to be made, which in a weird way I actually found kind of freed me up a little bit to just sort of do – you know, what I know other people kind of call the eyeball test and who I think is better at this point or who is playing better at this point. And it's January. So we're not really deciding anything. I mean, like people are interested. They want to see what the rankings are, but it's January. And so I I actually, as things started to develop over the weekend, I actually felt a little less stressed about it, if that makes sense. There was so much chaos that you couldn't really get it wrong. Right. And what I've said, Michelle, is... First of all, rankings don't even come close to guaranteeing you anything as far as the NCAA tournament. Like, they have no – rankings really have no bearings, right? Like, coaches don't care about rankings. I mean, if you're a top five team – I mean, I guess they do. I did get a couple text messages after tweeting out my AP poll list. But um, I did want to talk to you about, like, some of the process because there are some – misunderstanding some myths out here about AP poll voting. You know, we get these tweets and people that jump in and out. First of all, it's a very hard thing to do. It's extremely hard on a week like we just had. But um, for me, and this is the way I do my poll voting, strength of schedule is very, very important. Okay. So that's why that's one reason why UConn has not touched the top of my poll yet okay i've been very you can you can look at you can look at it's all out there doug feinberg puts the ap poll voter information out there um but strength of schedule is very important to me because you could be a 25 win team and you haven't really played a quality opponent you can be have zero losses on the season and really haven't played as many quality opponents of the team that could be ranked in front of you so that's extremely important to me okay I test, as you bring up, is something else. And when it comes to teams that are very close in terms of either strength of schedule, um, quality opponents that they've beat, bad losses, all the things we talk about for the NCAA tournament, like sometimes you have to really come down to, like you said, the eye test or head-to-head. And 
you know, folks have asked me. I've had South Carolina as number one on on the top of my poll. I think since Oregon lost, possibly. I don't know who the last number one was, but whenever that team lost, we've had four number ones this year. Right. If well, we, we have had, five, yeah, we had Stanford for a couple weeks. Oh, Stanford. Yep, I yeah, had and then Stanford. They lost Texas. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I think South Carolina sent it to the top. The reason why I had South Carolina on the top number one is because their strength of schedule. Okay. Also, because I lined up South Carolina with some of the other teams at that point that were possible number ones, and I said I would pick South Carolina to beat this team, this team, this team, and this team if they met right now. Part of that is my own philosophy that I'm big on defense, and I believe that, you know, as good as offensive teams that we have is that defense wins championships, especially this year because, to me, the offenses aren't as good as we've seen them in past years, period. I mean, we just got off the phone with Charlie Turner Thorne and – if you can hold Oregon, Oregon State, the way she did defensively, everybody in the country is in trouble. So there are a lot of different things that go into it. 20 to 25, to me, honestly, is not a, it's not a crapshoot. I won't go that far. But my, my team fluctuate in and out of, top, out of 20 through 25 pretty easily. Um, mid-majors are another nuance because – once DePaul gets into their league, how many quality t- opponents are they going to have? Meaning where their RPI is just going to jump? Not a, t- not a ton. Okay. How many games are going to lose? Probably none. So how they move or how a Princeton move, like I think Princeton moved out last week and they didn't even lose, if I'm not mistaken. Or did they lose? Right. I didn't think they, lo- they lost, but I they're out they did. because yeah. there are other teams that have more quality wins. So there's so many different things, but those are some some things that I – definitely use as I'm evaluating coming in to the rankings um, or that I'm looking at, but it, it, you're right in that there is no wrong answers. And that's something that people need to, to understand. Well, and so I was a, a few weeks ago, I think I was, I was ready as you were voting South Carolina and making the argument for South Carolina at number one, I was making the argument for Oregon state at number one. Um, for a period of time because they had three wins over ranked opponents by 20 points. They'd gone on the road. Like I really thought Oregon state had a resume that I, you know, I was, I could make, I could make an argument that they should be number one. I have like you not had Connecticut at the top of my poll. And when they went to the top of the poll, it felt to me. And again, this is eye test. It felt to me like this was like, it was a little reflexive of some voters mm-hmm. to say, Oh, so-and-so lost. That must mean Connecticut's number one. And, you know, and I know that Gino said, we're not number one and you know, we're not the best team in the country. And I don't think they're the best team in the country right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do use, I think similar to you, when I look at that 20 to 25, that is a place for a hot team with a good record, by the way, but I feel like, but a place for a hot team. So for example, I didn't have Arizona state ended up jumping to 18. I didn't have them that high. Um, I put them in, I think at 21 or 22, but totally thought that they deserved that. Yeah. Um, they were 17 they, on mine. Yeah, was, so for what they did this weekend, I didn't leap them up from unranked to quite that high. What they did was really impressive, absolutely. And you and I have a different um, – the defense, like I get that there are – that there maybe are not as strong offensive teams. Like nobody is just, you know, running it up and down the floor and putting up huge numbers. It's just not that kind of year. But I also am of the – like my brain has always said, but a team with a defensive identity – I don't think wins a national championship. I think you have to, but at the end of the season, you have to be able to score. Um, you know, Charlie's, Charlie's program is such an interesting example because that identity is built around defense pretty consistently for Charlie. And what they did to Oregon and Oregon State this weekend 
was absolutely a credit to what they've done defensively. And the reason I hadn't been able to get a bead on Arizona State up to this point is because they don't score the basketball very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they're just not a great scoring team. So to be able to hold down two pretty good scoring teams the way that they did was super impressive. But I always just question whether a team with a defensive identity is a team that's going to be able to go all the way to the end because at some point in that six-game NCAA tournament run, you're going to have to outscore somebody. Yeah, and, yeah, no. You know, and so that's always kind of where I kind of where I land. But when it comes to poll voting, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna confess, and this may not you know go up, like I'm not a charts and things. I want to go look, so I'll go check RPIs on strength of schedule. I held I held UCLA pretty you know you know at the at the ten eleven you know I held them kind of in that space while I waited to see because I know they have talent. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're, you know, like, and I know that they're coached well and, and they're an ex- they've got experience and they've got all of those themes. But up until they went to Georgia and then beat Indiana and then got into the Pac-12, they hadn't played anybody. Right, right. Um, Arizona has been an interesting read because I also believe they have talent. But they didn't play anybody either until they got to the Pac-12. And now they're, you know, now they've got a record, you know, they're going to swim upstream a little bit and staying in that top half of the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. And I had them in my top five this week. I mean, when I tell you, I got lots of text messages. I mean, they they were number five, I believe, on mine. And people were like, how is this happening? How I'm like, listen, it's also, like I said, the eye test of many things. And before we move on from this topic, but I, I'm, I'm so glad to get your thoughts on this because I think we need to start having these conversations more often about poll voting. But South Carolina is number five in the country with 84 points per game. So they've got some offense. Yeah. <laughs> I just okay, had to no give question. a little, I just had to give my little, uh, my little dig before we ride out. Uh, but I am, I am curious though, Michelle, with Arizona State, you, I mean, you know the Pac-12 inside out. We'll move to, to the big Stanford Oregon matchup in a moment, but is, is Arizona State now amongst the favorites to win this league? No. I still don't think so. I still, I, but I like them. I like them as a top four finisher a lot more than I did last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I really was trying to, I was having this, you know, kind of thought process about who's, you know, in the top tier that, you know, I think we pretty solidly know who the top four teams right now are in the Pac 12. And, you know, I mean, it's Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, just in terms of talent, experience, resume, all of those things. Arizona State hadn't beaten a ranked team until they they had this incredible weekend. They need to keep it going. They're going to go up to the Washington. That is, um, while those teams on paper are lower tier Pac-12 teams, it's a tough trip. That's going, you know, that's a long flight from longer one of the longer flights from Arizona. You've got to you've got to board two planes because you've got to go to Seattle and then you've got to get yourself to Pullman. Most people land in Spokane. You got to take a butt. Like it's kind of a it's kind of a tough trip in and of itself. So I'll be interested to see when they go on the road and they don't kind of have that home crowd energy and things like how it goes. But I think Arizona State probably probably sits pretty with Arizona. Mm-hmm. In, in battling for that 5-6 spot in Pac-12 right now. I mean, they're obviously an NCAA caliber team. I just don't know, even with what they did this weekend, I don't know if I can see them busting into that top group or not. Very interesting. Well, we will keep our eyes on this weekend and what Arizona State does moving forward. Now let's move on to the big ESPN matchup, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, and that is between Stanford and Oregon. Now, Here's my thing. I think people are shaky on Oregon now. I'm shaky on Oregon, okay? 
They've lost two games this season, one to Louisville and obviously the aforementioned Arizona State. And I really, to start the year, I, I would have said they're not going to lose a game this year, especially after beating USA Basketball, which we could do a whole nother right. podcast on right. that. I was like, they are not going to lose a game this year. Is there reason to be concerned about not even Oregon being the number one contenders for national champions coming into the season and and at this, they're not at this point, but even making it to another Final Four? Hmm. I am not ready to say that yet. Um, I talked to Kelly Graves the other night, just a night or two ago, and, you know, we talked about how, you you know, the assumption that, you know, you go to a Final Four, you have four returning starters, you have a lot of people back, that somehow, you know, what happens this season is kind of a pickup where you left off or a continuation of the previous season. But they're a different team. They have, um, you know, Mike Azorla moved on. They're kind of their floor general who's been a four-year starter for them. They brought in Mignon Mora, a transfer from USC, who's a really nice player. But it's just different. And then she's a totally different player than Maite. And they're, you know, they're relying on, you know, freshmen. You know, they've got Jess Shelley. They've got, they've got freshmen in big roles. And they're not shooting the three very well. And that's just, I mean, you know, I don't know that they've got a big disruption of of chemistry as much as they're not scoring quite as much and Sabrina and Aaron Bowley and Satu and they're not they're not shooting the three the way that they were and I know people say some it's a little live by the three die by the three but you know they lived on the three last year and they're not shooting they're not shooting nearly as well from beyond the arc this year and so I think that but I think that that's fixable um I will if they go if Stanford goes up and beats them in front of ten, twelve thousand people in their arena on Thursday. I think it's going to rock them a little bit. Um, but I, but I'm not quite ready to say that yet. I still think Oregon is a team because they have the pe- they have the fundamental pieces. That is just a matter of putting it together. But I think that you know, I they have they have had a lot of expectation last year. So I'm not going to say I think it's expectation or pleasure or pressure. I just think that there's a little something off, and I think a lot of it is around that three point shooting. Yeah, I mean, and shots can start falling at any moment, and they've had that pressure on them. I think they're actually much better at handling that as time has gone. I mean, they've had that pressure since they made it to the Elite Eight their freshman year. Sabrina, you know, in Ruthie's freshman year, that's been like, okay, well, now that you've done that, what are you going to do next? Um, but it it it, do, it has taken me back, and I do think I agree with you totally in that it's a different team. I think when those shots aren't falling, and my take, my take, my take, Azorla. Mm-hmm. Yep. Made everyone's job easier. She was a very underappreciated player. Be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, she took pressure okay. off of everyone. And so that is a huge loss. But those shots start falling. It's a totally different story to your point. I just, you wonder what it starts to do to the psyche of a team that, to me, they had to be thinking, okay, Sabrina's coming back because we're trying to win a championship. Not, we're just trying to win games you know, in the regular season at this point. But anyway, it'll be a big test for them against the Stanford team. And I want to switch to Stanford real quick because this is not the Stanford team that we thought we would be watching right now. And I think it's often unfair to them. Even when they were ranked number one, I don't think people understood that they didn't have Maya Dodson or DeJanae Carrington. If you would have told me that this team at this point without some of their key players, especially Carrington, would have only one loss, I wouldn't believed it. I mean, what Tara is doing with 
her youth and and moving it's like a next player up mentality what have you seen from Stanford on your end and when can we maybe expect if at all some of these key players back yeah it as far as the injuries I don't know I mean I'm not feeling like anybody's return at this point is imminent um Lexi Hole has been playing so well for them. Lacey Hole is is back in the lineup and getting a little. I think she's getting more minutes. She was out for a bit. Um, I don't know about the other two, and I think they're going to have to go a decent amount longer without them for now. Um, but Stanford, the thing that Tara told me was, she said this is the most compacted roster I've had in terms of talent. When she says when we go to practice. And we've got our scout team or whatever. Like my one to twelve is the most compacted I've ever had in terms of ability, talent. Which mean which means they're crazy deep, right? It means mm-hmm. that they're as young as they are. I mean, there's lineups. That, I mean, if you think about it, you know, she's got Keanu Williams, who I love her game. Um, I, you know, I just think she's just such a you know when she's playing well. She's absolutely driving them. Yes. But, you know, Haley Jones is a freshman. Fan Belibi is a freshman. Lexi Hull's a sophomore, um, you know, playing way above her years. I mean, she's got a young team on the floor, and then she brings in players off the bench, and she's got Hannah Jump coming in and hitting threes. She's a freshman. And, and Ashton Prechtel, she's a freshman. And, you know, Naughty, a, play, a player like Nadia Single is going to make a huge difference for them because she's got experience, whatever. But this is a young, deep, big, long team and they're not going to blow you away with anything that they do this isn't one of those you know this isn't Oregon when they're on a roll hitting threes and they're just running away from people offensively and they're also not in Arizona State where they've got this defensive identity they just do everything well like what I feel about Stanford right now is that this is just a really solid team yeah. Right, And they don't beat, as Kelly Graves told me the other night, they never, ever, ever beat themselves. You have to beat them. Yeah, They just don't beat themselves. And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, this is going to be a big test for Stanford, too, um, to go up to Oregon. And, you know, and we know that things, you know, at Maples, you know, Kelly handed Tara her worst home loss, you know, at Stanford ever last year and beat them by 40. And then Stanford turns around and beats them in the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, I think this is, I don't know who's going to win this game. I think it's going to be really, really interesting, though. And I just see Stanford as kind of this, you know, solid block of talent and depth and a really interesting team because I just think they're not going to be, they're not going to blow in the wind one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to find out a lot about Stanford um, on Thursday night. I mean, I think you're right about the environment in Eugene. It's godly. I mean, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, So that's going to be really tough. But I still think you learn something about your team every time they take the floor. And Tara always surprises me. I mean, it just – I shouldn't be, right? But her teams are always ready. They're very level-headed, very focused. So – Expecting big things. What else, Michelle? What else stands out to you about this season? You're giving us all the tea. What what else is on your mind? <laughs> no, you know, I mean, we're just out, you know, we're just out west here at the Capitol in basketball this year. <laughs> I was going to say. Four, four top ten teams. Mm, it's kind of fun. It's, my goodness. Yeah, it's super fun. I mean, I think, you know, you know, I think what Arizona State did this weekend is is really impressive. But, you know, Charlie's had um, Oregon State's number for a while, too. I mean, their record against their Oregon State, you know, she's beat them quite a few times. So that maybe isn't quite, you know, the fact that they put those two games together is, you know, it's surprising and it's pleasantly surprising and it kind of shook things up. But, you know, not 
you know, in the in the when you kind of break it down a little bit, it's not super surprising they got Oregon State. That's just kind of the way they play. Yeah. I'm excited with what Adia Barnes is doing in Arizona um, yes. because she has talent and because she's generating so much excitement in the community. My biggest takeaway from the Pac-12 is that I'm looking at these crowds and there's, you know, people. Cal's not having a very good year, and they had six thousand people at yes. Hoff on Sunday night to watch him play a much better game against Stanford than they did three nights before. And Charmin Smith who played at Stanford, who played for Tara, you know, just came out and said after the game all the right things. We're building something, and we're not there yet, and we're going to take our lumps, but if we stick together, I feel like we've got something. And so, like, I just love the vibe out here right now. I mean, you know, Washington's better. Washington State, you know, Bobby Rostova's, you know, I mean, she's a score. She's fun to watch. Like, it's just really a fun season out in this part of the world. Like, I'm just enjoying how excited people are about it. Yeah, I could not be more impressed by Adia Barnes and her group. And I actually, I mean, I watched Cal against UConn early this year, and I was like, holy smokes. Now, they, you know, haven't had the success I thought they would after that. But I was like, this tank team is fearless. They're playing, you know, they're having fun. They're supporting each other, you know, what you've known about Cal. But Charmin is doing an outstanding job. Adia, I remember having a conversation with her like when she was thinking about, I think leaving Ohio. No, where she was at Washington. That's yeah. where she was. Yeah, yeah, she was like, ah, and she, you know, was starting to think she wanted to be a head coach. I was like, girl, you have everything. Like you could easily, and it has been a journey for her. Like it has been a challenge. Yeah. Um, even going back to her alma mater, but wow, how impressed! Oh my god, I am just so impressed by what she's done. The excitement. I saw the season ticket numbers. All of that, um, all good stuff for her. Um, but we are, we are, hey, we're bowing down to the Pac-12 right now. You have no arguments from your East Coast friends, Michelle, other than well, we do gonna, wish the game started earlier. But good, thank God there's synergy, at least for me. I'm going to argue. I'll, I'll, we'll see how much longer. I'm going to argue with my buddy Charlie Cream a little bit, though, over some seedings because he's got four Pac-12 teams as, as the number two seeds, and that's fine where we are today. But I think that there's no way come March that there isn't at least one Pac-12 team on the one line. And, and again, in January, as we're doing bracketology, it means about as much as the rankings do, right? I mean, like, it's right. January, and it gives people something to talk about. But I looked at that, and I was all, mm, I don't want to punish the Pac-12 teams so much for what they're doing against one another at this point because they're playing – just a brutal conference schedule this year. That's the thing, though, Michelle. When you're beating each other up in conference, it still counts as a loss. Mm-hmm. So there could it be I, there, it could be very even across the board, as you know. It almost reminds me of when we're voting for all for for WNBA All Star, and it's like, hmm, Minnesota's got four that could get in, and because your votes are a little spread and everybody looks yep. even, you end up with. Three on second team and none on first because everybody else has got this one team that stands out that's only had one loss, that's only had zero. So I I get kind of what Charlie's thinking, but that speaks to the depth and the strength of the conference. Um, but it, it, it could be a detriment to that number one seed. We'll we will see if somebody we'll see if somebody can stay consistent and you know, and win you know, and win a couple of these big games and really show us up. I think Oregon and Stanford, in my mind, have the best chance to do that where they just say, Okay, now we're turning it on and we're gonna dominate in this conference and I think those are the two in my mind, those are the two best opportunities to do that. But um you know, we'll see. And, you know, Ed, have 25 years of covering Tars Vandiver, she will tell you, I don't care if I'm a one or a two. I've gone to the final four out of both spots. I've gone to the final four out of a three seed. I don't care. There's less pressure in that two spot, Michelle. That's all I'm trying to say. Well, we That's will be true. checking in with you the rest of the way. You are amazing. You're awesome. I, I love you personally as a friend, but also everything you do for the sport. 
very underappreciated. I can't wait till we're all like making big money covering women's basketball, and that's our full time jobs. And we are, yeah. So we're, we'll you, wait for those days. Me, keep me posted on that. <laughs> all right, Michelle Smith. Thank you so much for your time. Go back to Pac twelve. All okay, right. Thanks. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, basketball fans, we are heading into our fourth quarter, but this week we are not going to go out of bounds. Instead, we're going to continue our conversation that further delves into the new WNBA CBA. And to help us do that, we have ESPN W Women's Basketball writer Michelle Vopel and former WNBA head coach and general manager of the Chicago Sky and Indiana Fever, Pokey Chapman. Thanks so much for joining us, ladies. Glad to do Glad it. to be here. I know one of the biggest questions that I've seen on my social media timelines and even one of the biggest questions that I had when I first saw what this new CBA was going to entail is where exactly are these additional funds going to come from? Well, based on what Kathy Engelbert said um, and and Neko Gumoke, they are, you know, seeking different um, sponsorship partnerships. The, they feel like they can, you know, through marketing, they can raise more money. And, um, you know, I think that what they've been saying all along is the idea of bet on us. Um, if you include us, if we're really a part of every aspect of the WNBA's growth, we feel like we can help the league grow. Um, that, I think, is that's been the, the players' messaging for a while now, and I feel like with the CBA, uh, they're basically saying we really want to be uh, hands-on with every part of the league growing. I'm just curious, and, and either Pokey or Michelle, you guys can chime in on this. I don't think a lot of our fans really know a lot about the last CBA and kind of the foundation that they were working from coming into this. We had Sue Bird on the podcast Earlier today, and I know one of the things for me that was frustrating was um, player salaries and that a team could literally be paying four players max or however many players max. And that's all Diana Taurasi was making. And I'm like, how are all of these players making the same money as Diana Taurasi? So the pay structure, it seems to reward players that... Um, have excelled or have had success, and that's the way it should be. That's the way, in my opinion, this, the pay structure should be in sport. That was the most frustrating thing for me. How about for you guys something that you're happy to see change from the last CBA to now? Yeah, I'll answer that, Latana, because it's in line with what you're saying. Uh, you spoke about Diana because she's one of the greatest to ever play the game, and you know, I was fortunate enough to coach her uh, abroad, uh, and against her here, and it was amazing to me, and there's no disrespect to any other players. Uh, if we want to take that next step, that's the seismic shift in pay players what they're worth and their value to the product and not just their years of service because you can serve something for a mighty long time and be mediocre. So I think, you know, we'll get into the cash components of it all, but I think that is the biggest takeaway for me. And I'm talking in all aspects of it, from the marketing aspect to on the court aspect, they should be rewarded. Michelle? Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I, I do think some of the things that, uh, you know, and, and I, I guess the caveat with this is I haven't been able to read the new agreement yet. <laughs> yeah, we've got that disclaimer out there that the board yeah. of directors has not approved <laughs> it and that we actually haven't read it yet because it hasn't been released. So, yes, we all have that disclaimer. But um, everything you guys said about salary is true. I think um, philosophically one of the things about women's basketball is because women are constantly striving for equality, 
I do think sometimes there's this feeling like that everything has to be equal, and and the reality is in professional sports it isn't. Like all of us are sports fans, and like I, you know, sometimes I'll be watching a baseball game and. The center fielder is, you know, a rookie who's really good. He's making 500000 The guy next to him is making $25 million a year. They figure out a way to deal with that. And who knows, the rookie might be better at times than, than the guy next to him. <laughs> but I think in professional sports, it's, it, it, the players understand. Everybody who would play with Diana Taurasi understands how good she is. So I do think that uh, this, this CBA, and, and, you know, I, I feel like Terry Jackson always kept this in mind, she wants she wants something that's going to be good for everybody, but she does understand the stars and the people who are at the top. You do have to do things for them too, because that's that's just how pro sports are. The other thing, a couple other things that really stood out that I really like about the CBA is an emphasis on things like mental health services and making sure that that's a really very very um, robust system for people and. And the idea that now players who are going to be, um, you know, who might miss a year with pregnancy are going to get their full salary. I think for a women's league, the WME needs to be the most progressive on things that are that are very, you know, I think have been very ignored and sometimes throughout our history about the dual role that women, you know, have. You know, mm-hmm. in, in <laughs> what what can you say? I mean, they keep the the race going, the, the, the human race going. They have right. to have kids, right? So right. understanding that, that that's not them, oh, they're shirking their duties. They're, you know, they're doing something that, that is just uh, that women need to do, and we have to, I think, as, a, as, a pro, as the women's pro league, be at the forefront of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the mental health aspect, I think, was was – one that I was definitely excited about because of the number of times, and I can tell you, and Tarika can vouch for this, the last time we actually heard this specific conversation is when we had Diamond to Shields on our podcast, and she talked about being overseas and the isolation that these players experience and some of the transition that happens when you go to a new country, maybe you don't speak the language, you know, you're far away from home, from your family for however many months, maybe for the first time, maybe it's even just in your first five years where you haven't adjusted. And these women go through some serious challenges as far as their mental health and wellness. And I, I just don't I think that's something I hope one day someone actually does something you know, more extensive on this. But I mean, we've even had a player say if you've gone overseas and played and, and not had to seek counseling I'm give yourself a round of applause at some, you know, because it's just the, the, it's a very isolating experience and can be challenging as far as the mental health. So I, I want to pose this question because I, I, you know, and I said this to Sue, cause this is just, it's, it's amazing. First of all, these, these women did an outstanding job. Um, as far as those that are part of a players association committee, NECA, Lasia, Cheney, Sue, Elena Deladon, Elizabeth Williams, Carolyn Swartz, did an outstanding job. Terry, and I know you're a fan of Terry Jackson, uh, Michelle, and, and how well she did. Kathy Engelberg came to the table. One thing I did have to talk to, to ask Sue about, though, is um, that division that you mentioned between players, because everything is, is not equal, but it seems as though we continue to see the word top player or um, select players in terms of the compensation that can be earned in the off season and some of the other opportunities. And I know that 
there it has to be decided or we need to actually read the document to figure out, you know, how these players will be designated and how kind of the decision making process. But there are 144 players in this league. So if you say, okay, top players or select players get an opportunity to earn this compensation in the off season. Oh, and in a few years, you'll be disqualified from the league if you're late coming back from overseas, which if those top players are making money in the United States, maybe they're not as worried about overseas, um, opportunities or, or that money. And I and, and and when I look at that committee of players, they are lottery picks, they are USA basketball. So that's a little bit of a different demographic as far as who's leading that conversation versus what everyone else in the league may be experiencing. Did that come to either of you as you were reading? Um, just if, if it's balanced, and not that it should be, because we just said it's not equal for all players, but if everyone is represented in, in that sense... Listen, I, I can speak to that in um, you know top slash select. I think that gives way to a lot of discretion <laughs> for teams for the league. I think it was maybe rolled out when Stewie became an ambassador. You know, that was nothing. I mean, that was the league discretion, and people weren't comfortable with it because you know, I, I, honestly, we can talk about the advantages it may have been for a team. But as an example of, you know, she's an amazing player. Um, she's you know outspoken, went to a great school. She can be an ambassador for our league if it's rolled out, you know, the way it needs to be, uh, whether she's playing or not. Because here's what we're talking about, the marketing component. You know, there's some people that may hit markets that we need that may not be in the top 5%. So mm-hmm. I think it leaves it open to the league and teams to make that decision what's best for them. Yeah. You know, LaChina, I, I, I do have a little – maybe even more than a little concern about the in you know in four years um i that's what i've been told is that's when it starts to kick in this idea that if you're not if you don't report at a certain time that's it you're suspended for the season we all know that late reporting and you know the 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 conflict between overseas that's just been a that's been a constant with the WNBA, and i and i understand why the league decided hey we want to we really want to make this um, a concession from the players. Like, <clears throat> we want this, and the players were willing to do that. What I'm concerned about is, like you said, the players who maybe are very good players, but they're not going to be the players who are going to get very much of this marketing money. I mean, mm-hmm. it may not be fair or whatever, but, you know, what maybe what school they came from, maybe, you know, whatever. They're just not seen as the more marketable person, and, and I think – they're going to say, "Hey, look, I have to go overseas." Mm-hmm. And then the foreign players. I mean, if you're if you're European, I mean, Pokey, uh, Coach Chapman can speak to this. I mean, some of these, I don't think they want to come over here and do marketing, right? Like they would rather play right. overseas. That, I mean, right. that's that's right. home. Like uh, Emma Miesman. I don't think Emma Miesman wants to live in the United States year round and do marketing and do stuff. Like, I think she probably likes playing overseas. So yeah. Emma can't wait to go home when the season's over. Go ahead, Michelle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's running you know, to the airport. Exactly. So that's my concern is like, are we, is, is it going to get to a point where European players in particular are going to say, you know what, WNBA is not going to work for me anymore. And, and, or it's not going to work for me. Certainly every season I might, every other season I might play and, that, that's that's my concern, and I guess we'll see how that plays out and how agents deal with it and how how strict these deadlines are, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I right, think that's right, right. 
I'll be honest with you, I was surprised to see the word suspend. You know, I started thinking about some of these foreign contracts that we would have abroad and uh, you would get docked, you know, every day you were late. I was really surprised about a suspension. You know, then it kind of it kind of leaves those teams in a position to make a decision. Uh, how long do you want to wait on this player? But you don't have to pay for him. I thought there would be some middle ground. But when I saw suspension, I said, wow, this can really change the game in a way that we're not expected. But maybe they, maybe that's how, you know, this is laid out to, to play out. Yeah, it sounded like, and I, I wrote down this quote from Cheney, hold the league um, as a priority, as a certain priority. And so some of the decisions that were made were saying, okay, it seemed like to me it was the league saying, okay, we're going to invest this money so that we can all grow, right? Or whoever, you know, we're going to, well, we're going to invest this, this commitment and, and pour into our teams and the players so that we can all grow together. So you come and you stay here in the off season. We can use you for marketing. I mean, it just seemed like, okay, there's a lot going into this, so there's got to be something that the players are willing to then give up. And it seemed like this was the thing. The players like, okay, bet on us. So if they're going to put the money and the resources, then ultimately the players have to bet on themselves that by the time this starts, that maybe there are more sponsorships. You know, maybe there is revenue sharing at 50 50%. That's going to allow for even more monies to be coming into play for players that make that decision to not go overseas, maybe not as hard. But I, I do think that it it impacts, like you said, Michelle, inter, international players and just a different group that may may not be considered top and, the, and they're going to have some tough decisions to make. I'm thinking that they extended this out in order to give maybe opportunity, and I don't know who sets the date for international competition, but for them to figure out, you know, how they can work around some of those things since it's not starting like next year, you know, where I'm sure a lot of those dates are already set. Um, but Sue Bird also did say to us that, you know, though there is a lot of wording in this that says top players and seems like, you know, a lot of the benefits are going, which, again, they should be to some of the top players, that there are career opportunities and different programs that they expect to be happening um, in the WNBA off season that will also benefit um, the the other players in the league that are not considered, quote, top players. So there are chances for them to grow maybe their financial ceiling moving forward if it's a job opportunity. So I guess overall it's going to grow everyone's profile, um, even though obviously the verbiage in this may not directly reflect that. And, and you know what, Latana? It, it may be, excuse me, Michelle, it may be one of those things that I'm thinking about how they're rolling this out. You know, it, it's putting, you know, maybe USA Basketball, FIBA, you know, they're put on notice. Let's come to the table. Let's communicate this out. Let's come to an agreement with the start and the ending of seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a conversation that's never been had because in Europe they're like, oh, well, you're making five times the money, you know, get over it. Yeah. And now maybe that pendulum's going to swing in the other direction. I know some of the players in France, you know, they were finishing in late June. Yeah. So, you know, maybe put, putting them on notice to, to reconstruct some things if those players aren't going to, you know, make that leap and go to Europe. Yeah, I, I think the sort of drawing the line in the sand, um, like Pokey said, mm-hmm. has been something I think all of us have thought for now 20 years. Like, is there going to be a time <laughs> when there is going to be that line drawn in the sand? And not being a lawyer, not being somebody who negotiates contracts, I'll say this, and maybe it's just completely couldn't it couldn't happen, but – 
there's a part of me that says I wish they had different standards or like a different because from what I've been told, you're suspended for the season. Mm-hmm. It's not like a week or two weeks or something like you can't play that season if you report late. And I wish that it could be different for overseas players because I do think that that's a, a different thing. Um, you know, and and maybe like I said, the the thought is no, you got to go all in, you got to be with the WNBA, but the. A lot of this seemed very much like um, not thinking about that idea that there are players who may be very committed to the WNBA, but they don't they don't want to spend the entire year here. And, yeah. Um, that is that necessarily a bad thing? Like, you know, maybe some of them would, but but if they wouldn't and they do want to play overseas, could there be like, okay, you're suspended two weeks or a month, which would still be hard, but it wouldn't be like, hey, you just can't play here if if you're an overseas player. Yeah. So I, I don't know, maybe there's no way right. to negotiate that, but that is something that really stood out to me. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, I, I say all the time, I wish I could go back, because I, I would love to play basketball and travel. You know, I was someone that didn't want to do that because I enjoyed my job out of college, so, you know, I kind of decided to hang up my, my sneakers, but um, yeah, maybe there are players, because I think sometimes we look at it as something that WNBA players have to do, but there are a lot of them that enjoy it and like the experience of being overseas and, and like their teams. And, I mean, when's the last time we've, we've, we've seen Tweety Nolan? She's having a great time wherever she is. I don't know, but <laughs> right, she's, right. you know, she's like, all right, I'm good. Um, and, and the other part that I, that I do like about this, um, because overall, I mean, God, this is an amazing and, and very groundbreaking. So we're just breaking down some of the details of this and being nitpicky, but something I, another thing that I love is the commissioner's cup idea because of the compensation. I mean, 750,000, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and that's at the low end in terms of what prize money could be. So if you come back to the United States and your team is thriving because everybody's in camp and you've got your whole team and you guys are focused on winning this, this commissioner's cup money, from what I understand, it's not going to be any more than two possible games on the season. That's something else I can't wait to see is if what the length of the season, if that changes at all. There's been no mention of that, but that would obviously impact what we're seeing as far as some of these salary numbers if you break it down to per game. But if you win that Commissioner's Cup and this number is correct, you could make an additional $62,500 per player. Divide that by 12, and that's an extra 63 Gs. So there and is listen, incentive. And, okay. Yes. No, go ahead, Pope. And, and let's find it. When it rolled out and I saw the word Commissioner Cup, and I was in Russia for six years, I immediately thought of the Russian Cup, and I immediately thought of my contract as a coach. I can remember, you know, Lindsay going back and forth negotiating this Russian Cup thing, and I'm like, what's the deal? You know, and then, you know, believe it or not, you know, there's the Russian League, the European League, and that doggone Russian Cup uh, where you can get some serious dough. And it's amazing, you know, so, you, know you, you obviously get some ideas from – from different models, but I think that is huge. It's tremendous, and I, I can't wait until those details are rolled out, I think, later this week maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely a, a jaw-dropping number. So was there anything <laughs> else that stood out to you guys or anything that you think was missed? Or, like, I thought one thing for me that I would like to see happen for the WNBA, and maybe this is in it. Again, we have not read the actual CBA yet. 
But I would love it if WNBA players can get to the point where they have a pension. I mean, NBA players have a pension. If you spent a certain number years in the league, then you qualify for that. That's a benefit, and, and maybe they will have it moving forward. But that was something that I would love for 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 them to to have or be able to get into this CBA if it isn't. I don't know if it is. I know that there were some changes in benefits. But were there things that you were expecting to see or um, that stood out to you in any way um, as you were going through this? Change in the, you know, with revenue sharing, which, as we know, revenue sharing previously was tied into ticket sales, and, and it, it wasn't triggered. We didn't, it at least didn't get to that point. So, at least with this change in revenue sharing, I think the union feels like there's a better chance that there can actually be more revenue and and hit like these targets, and that they would be able to actually have that revenue share. So to me, there was uh, there was um, an idea of let's let's change this a little bit and see if um, you know we can come closer to actually triggering triggering uh, the revenue sharing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that could be 50-50 as of 2021, which is major. I mean, that to me, with the earning potential, broadcast agreements, marketing partnerships, I mean, that could be a major, major move. Um, Pokey, yeah. anything for you? No, I think that's a game changer. And, and uh, Michelle touched on it earlier, and just to, to piggyback on that, just the entire mental health component. That won't be talked about enough, and, and I hope – you know, Skylar will come on and talk about some things, the, the domestic violence piece. It's almost like we're hush-hush. We don't know, you know, how to handle it, what to say. Uh, and that kind of creates that environment of shame and that, uh, you know, people not coming to the forefront. So I like the fact that these things are being talked about, you know, alternative options to having families. Uh, we know how our world operates. We know how our world inside of basketball operates. So it's just nice to kind of feel similar to the rest of the world, but you nailed it, Latown. It's that financial piece. You know, I, I tell people all the time that, that one of the best things Coach Gunner did for me was told me to get a, a damn financial advisor, and I said, well, she's going to advise me to get another job because you're only paying me $10,000. <laughs> because because of their, their, their short window, you know, I tell everybody, look, David Bach, an automatic millionaire, buy the book, read it, live by it. And I'm glad you mentioned that, and I hope that'll float out there and it'll stick but uh, overall, I think this was a win and a step in the right direction. A step in the right direction. Um, we're all excited, and congrats again to the WNBA, to the Players Association. Um, we will continue to have these conversations, especially once we get our hands on the actual document. Right, Michelle? We're going to actually get it, touch it, feel it, be able to go through all the lines and really um, look at everything as a whole. But from what it looks like, this is a huge win for both sides and a huge win for WNBA fans. Michelle Pokey, thank you guys so much for joining us and for your input and your insight and your perspective. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. We wanted our first show back to be a fun one. Hopefully you enjoyed, you learned, you laughed. Uh, but made you think and also made you want to continue to support women's basketball. Big matchup Thursday night, Stanford, Oregon, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sabrina Ionescu is amazing. I mean, if you haven't heard her name, you get a chance to watch her on Thursday. She's a triple-double machine. So tune in, and we will see you next week. Wait, 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 LaChina. We can't end the show yet because we forgot to tell the people where they can find us. So... 
Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at Around the Rim Pod. You can follow LaChina at LaChina Robinson. You can follow me at She Knows Sports underscore. Please keep sending us your thoughts to our email at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. And I think now, I think now we're officially done. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.